0: <laughs> all this meditation and silence is for retired people. You don't need it at this stage of life. She's always sitting by herself. What a weirdo.
1: Don't be such a homebody. Have some sense of adventure, yeah.
0: Welcome to a new year and a new episode of Slow Down with Aastha. What better way for me to start this episode than to thank you all from the bottom of my heart for all the love and the listens, that have made us stay at number 3 in the health and fitness category of Apple Podcasts in the last few weeks. My first guest for 2024 is a very familiar face and is known for his acting prowess. I was recently made aware of his book titled My Experiments with Silence – The Diary of an Introvert by OM Books International. I honestly remember thinking to myself, hmm, let's see how much I can even relate to the diary of an established actor. But I kid you not, every page that I read made me go back to a time in my life where I felt the same kind of struggle, emotions, conflict, and maybe even frustration. I hope that answers your question and explains precisely what he is doing here on this show as my guest. So to speak about the power of silence, please welcome the very funny, immensely talented, and completely relatable Sameer Soni. Hi, Sameer. Welcome to Slow Down with Asa
1: Hey, Asta, Thanks for having me.
0: So, um, I wanted to start by saying that, you know, usually throughout the season, we've had mental health practitioners and mental health experts come on the show. And though you might not be that, you are a very recognized face. But most people recognize you as Sameer Sony, the actor. And not too many people know about you as Sameer Sony, the author. And uh, I want to start by thanking you for this beautiful book that you have written, My Experiments with Silence, The Diary of an Introvert by Ohm Books International. And, um, you know, it's very funny because when I first read the title, I saw the word introvert. And it is never something that I would associate with an actor because of so many of these actor friends and They've always been the people who are very outgoing. They're the like of every party. They're making you laugh. They love talking to people. So it's almost like a natural extension of their personality. Because you'd say, okay, acting, expressing, emoting. And here we have Mr. Samir Soni, who is an introvert, but decides to choose acting as a profession. How did that happen?
1: Um, Asa, it's not that much of a contradiction as it sounds. Uh, because... Um, well, let's just talk about introversion what does it mean to be introverted the stereotypical cliche is that when you think of an introvert you think of this guy or a girl in a corner sitting reading a book and and that's you know what the typical image you will have in your mind when you think of extrovert is the person who's the life of a party who's loud who's blah 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 shouting having various and having a great time but that's pretty stereotypical that doesn't really happen even, quote-unquote, extrovert people need some time on their own. Even introverts enjoy people's company. So that's not the thing. The, so- the, the key difference is where is the source of energy coming from? To give you an example, if you take an introvert and an extrovert, and they both go to a social event, and they both have a good time, right? Chances are the extrovert, when he comes or he or she comes back home, is going to be all charged up. And the introvert's going to come home and collapse on the bed and think, oh, my God, I'm exhausted. And they both had a great time. Okay? So essentially from an introversion uh, point of view is that the introverts need more time, meantime, they rejuvenate themselves while being on their own, and they're more inward-looking. But that doesn't mean that they, will li- they won't like talking to people. The thing is you need a safe environment. For example, if you have an introvert friend, when they are with people they're comfortable with, chances are they'll talk the most. Right now, coming back to acting, how I discovered acting was, um, I think I was in <clears throat> what my third standard or something. And I was somehow stumbled into theater workshop. You know, I was just like we in our school, you had Glee Club, which is home for guys who could sing and theater workshop. And I kind of said, I can't sing. All right, let me try this. And we were given an exercise to do that. Pretend you're waking up in the morning, getting ready to go to school, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I did that. And I really felt good because when I was doing it, for the first time, I felt I wasn't being judged because whatever I was doing was actually the character who was doing. So if you are an introvert, you will tend to keep your thoughts and emotions very close to your chest or your heart, right? And being an actor is a safe outlet because you're expressing your emotions, your feelings under the garb of the character. So when you're feeling angry, it's actually you feeling angry or expressing your anger. If you're feeling angst, it's you. But since it's the characters saying in somebody else's lines, you can, it's a disclaimer, if I can say anything, do anything, and I will not be judged as a person. So in a way, it's catharsis as well. So a lot of if I mean, I don't know in India as much might be, but abroad, you have tons of people, actors who are kind of drawn who are hypersensitive, because uh, so a it's a good way of expressing yourself. It's a safe platform, you find a place where you as an individual is not judged. Secondly, introverts tend to be extremely sensitive and the more sensitive you are, then the more you can apply yourself in creative fields such as acting or singing or even painting for that matter. So it is actually a fantastic outlet, but the problem, like you correctly said, is the the befores and the afters, is act, interacting with people, which is tricky, which is what really fatigues you, or me, at least it does. So yes, it's catharsis for me. I, I, I mean... Um, yeah, I, I love what I do because it's my universe and everything. And I just empty the tank out every time I perform. And uh, after that, it's the real world, which is kind of tricky for me. I think acting is fine because you know what you're supposed to say, you know what your character is supposed to feel, you know what the other person is going to say. It's a controlled environment. But in real life, you're going to deal with people and say, okay, she's saying this. Does she mean this? Does she really mean this? Should I be saying this? Should I not say this? So that's how this, the the puzzle kind of falls into place.
0: You know, in your book, I feel like your emotional ups and downs could be visible in in these tiny snippets. You you really spoke about your underconfidence as a little boy. You spoke about the day you um were supposed to be very happy because you were making your screen debut and inside you were quite shattered because you were also signing the papers for your divorce. Um you spoke about expectations, validation, your this is it moments that you know, (laughs) that that were just a constant in your life. What has your relationship with mental health been like from, let's say, the time that you left the US and you left your job and you said, I want to pursue acting and I'm going to move back to India? I
1: think I never really questioned my mental health because you always accept yourself for what you are and you kind of figure that's just the way to be. For example, uh you're shy that's it i mean you don't think anything beyond that anything further than that it's only when your quote unquote shyness or your introversion starts becoming a problem in doing something which is fairly normal right for me it was uh you know even if i had to go for a movie with my friends I'll ha- i wanted to wait for the lights to dim down and then calm down it was this hyper anxiety i would have right? And then that's the time when I figured, I said, like, this is something, you know, I need to figure this thing out, because this doesn't seem right, it doesn't seem normal.
2: Yeah,
1: so I, I went into co- counseling for years, and then I went, that's how the book came about, was kind of introspection, exploring yourself. It is not just about, this is the way I am, but questioning yourself, why am I the way I am? What is the conditioning? So it's more about understanding yourself. So uh Although this mental health, uh, the word has this totally negative connotation for someone, I, mean, I go horse talking about it in terms of it's okay for a person to come back from work and have a couple of drinks and go off to sleep. But God forbid, if you were to go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist or mental health expert or coach, you go, oh my God, there's something wrong with you, right? And it's considered taboo, you know. And also in our society, extra, we live in an extremely exhibitionist, extroverted society. You know, you've got to be seen. This is the way you're supposed to behave. This is what you're supposed to look. This is the do's and don'ts, it's very clear. Which I fine with very lot of extroverted people with the qualities are such. But for introverts, that's a, very, a challenge anyway. For example, I would try my level best to socialize. It's an effort. It doesn't come naturally to me. Yeah. It does nothing to me, right? And uh, but that's an effort you go and then after a while you start thinking maybe there's something wrong with me mm-hmm. because, you know, you're like everybody's having a great time to see say a cricket match with Sachin Tendulkar with 40,000 people, 50,000 people cheering. And there I was say, yeah, man, I want to be home and watching the same match on my TV yeah. in my pajamas and see an action replay. Yeah. So that's when you seek out for help. I don't know if it's a disorder or anything. I just stopped trying. I'm like, hey, man, this is the way I am. Now people get it. They think, look, look, he's not going to show up. I mean, I don't go for a social function if it starts after nine o'clock. I, that's too much of a Found me out. Yeah. And I mean, look, you know, you try so long. You try to fit in. Everybody's trying to fit in, right? And then you wonder, what well, is it really worth it? Because people who get you will not extract that from you. Yeah. Right? To me, a more meaningful, like this conversation I'm having with you, it's far more meaningful for me because we're talking about something, not necessarily me as a person, but as a concept of yeah. uh, introversion and extroversion, is far more um, rejuvenating and, and uplifting than discussing who did what, where, and when.
2: Yeah,
1: I, absolutely. There's nothing for me. So uh, I don't know if I answered your question, but uh, no,
0: you did. And you know, this thing about, I'm so, the reason why I feel like this was such an, this is such an important subject to talk about is because I used to feel strongly like introverts are labeled as misfits. So, I used to struggle very often with this thing where I would want to leave a party and be like, man, I'm not feeling it. Who are these people? Like, I can count two people I'm close to and I'd rather do a dinner with them than be than be in the surrounding. And all of my friends would be like, no, are you crazy? Are you, don't be a party pooper. So I, And I would say when the host comes and tells you, listen, man, I'm seeing you after so long, that guilt would set in and I'd say, okay, okay, I have to stay, I have to stay. I think then I became a lot more sure of myself as a person. So now I'm very confident and comfortable with telling someone, hey, you know what, I'll meet you personally, but I'm not enjoying myself here, you know. And that itself is quite a journey, even for an introvert to recognize that, number one, I'm not a misfit in society. And number two, this is a personality type that I have, which is normal. And I can be okay with telling someone, you know, hey, this is not me. If it's you, cool, but, you know, just leave me alone. It's nothing personal at all. So your book is like, I think, a big giant hug to the entire community of introverts.
1: I think the, the idea behind that book was to let, uh, because it was a very personal thing, it was that to let people know you're not alone. And especially for introverts who will not open up with what they're going through. And they can feel extremely isolated and to what will not understand. Your family is too close to really understand. Right? Friends will understand for two days and third day they'll say, okay, hey man, their typical answer, which, you know, kind of really not boiled not blood, but, you know, whatever, <laughs> is when you're, you know, if you're down or feeling low and say, hey, snap out of it. Oh, yeah, I didn't think of that one. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'll just put that button on. Yeah, that's it. a good one. Hey, you know. Or they say, hey, chill, man, you think too much. That's another one that gets my goat sick. Like, Jesus, just because you're not capable of it, does not mean I can't. Because the introverts and extroverts are wired very differently. It is the hardwired. It's like I, I read a book on this in terms of the neuro pathways are actually different for an introvert than to an extrovert. The neural pathways for an introvert would be far deeper to, for them. So it takes some time to process the situation. Okay, But when they process, they can really go deeper and deeper and deeper. But an extrovert is brought faster and can do multiple things, but is not capable of digging deeper. So the only thing I can say, that even if you want to consider yourself a misfit, well, A, you're not alone, all right? And B, maybe it's a strength that you have. And let's explore that. So I like to wear my introversion like a badge. I mean, you know, because it's not easy to really self-reflect and be truly honest to yourself. It's very easy. A lot of people would do is that if something is bothering them, they'll distract themselves. They don't want to spend time on them, you know, with themselves and face reality. It's very difficult because that can shatter any kind of ego or or yeah, yeah self image that you have of yourself. So it takes a very ballsy man, sorry for the language, to kind of say, "All right, man, let's just confront this. Why am I the way I am? Is it because I'm seeking validation? Is it because people want me to? I want people to like me? Is that it? There's more to that. So yeah, I, I think uh, I just hope things change. I guess.
0: So I read in an interview that the idea of compiling this book came to you during the pandemic. And I want to actually go back to that phase of the COVID-19 pandemic, because I think it was a phase where, um, of course, the world was forced into some sort of silence, which was no parties and, you know, no other outward, outward distractions. And I was having a great time. I mean, barring the fact that, yes, there was a very real fear of, okay, what's this new thing that the world is grappling with? There was a part of me that was like, oh, yay, I'm catching up on my books and my podcasts and my films. And I was loving it. And about a month into it, I started getting so many calls from friends who said, listen, I'm going mad. Like the idea of sitting at home indefinitely is just like, I don't know, I'm a nervous wreck. I'm bored to death. I'm getting very dark and disturbing thoughts. And the best that I could do in that capacity was maybe give them a shoulder to cry on. And then we have Mr. Sameer Sony, who decides that let me go to my old journals, pick out a few passages and publish a book and show the world, hey, <laughs> why don't you all be as vulnerable as this? What pushed you to doing
1: that? The diary section is totally, it was written about 10, 12 years back when I was going through the period and I was ex- experimenting with silence, dealing with the divorce, dealing with my career. It's not starting the right foot. And... It was extremely brutally honest when I was writing it. it was really, because I wasn't writing it to be published. It was literally, I was writing my thoughts down, whatever I was feeling, because I knew people couldn't help me.
0: And you can tell,
1: you can tell. It's not... Uh... And nothing's been edited. So we have not gone back and reworked the diary entries at all. They are what they are, even if they're grammatically incorrect. They are what they are. And I was very clear about that. Because to me, the USP was the rawness. And I'd written that and... And I reached a point where I've come to some kind of conclusion, had some kind of acceptance to the whole situation and myself. I have put it away.
0: You know, writing is very therapeutic. Uh, I come from a family of writers, so it's always come naturally to me. I have a lot of friends who and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this episode who keep saying I want to start journaling, but I don't know how. So is writing something that came naturally to you or was it something you read about and said, hey, let me just pick up a pen and write down what I'm feeling right now? It's
1: it's kind of both because I do recall writing something when I was probably 12 years old or 13 years old hmm. to kind of just sit in my room and kind of look at the moon. I had I love this concept of having just a desk and a paper and a pen. and you can write. I mean, I suck at typing and stuff. Yeah, so okay. I write. And to me, it, it was just... Now I look back, it was a beautiful escape for me,
2: mm.
1: you know, mm. just being by myself with a paper pen, not going to be judged, and, and you're just kind of talking to God, you know, whatever that means, yeah. really. mm. So that was something I always enjoyed and, and did, uh, not regularly, though. Mm. Then when I was going through this phase, I did a lot of reading, and mm. then a lot of people were talking about journaling, and a lot of people were talking about silence. These were two things that came up, because, you know, when you're down and out, the first thing you do is self-help books. Mm. Uh, five ways to do this six ways <laughs> to it i i i mean no offense to anyone if it helps someone it's fantastic but i i hate this shortcuts seven ways to be successful oh, what does success mean mm-hmm. who are you talking to yeah so but i read this i said all right fine i'm going to try it out mm. and i would just pick up a piece of paper and start writing and if there was nothing coming to me i would start with how do you feel? And then one thought would lead to another thought, would lead to another thought. And then before you know, you've gone 10 layers deeper and you're thinking of something far deeper. And that was so by itself was so fulfilling because it was taking me where I didn't even know what it was. Okay. And slowly the number of thoughts that you have in your mind, say at, at one time you might have 100 thoughts or 50 thoughts, this slow down. Yeah. And then you get this little gaps between the thoughts where everything is just still. And to me, I kind of see that That is to feel good. So the ultimate aim became to feel that more often and more often. You cut to the nonsense and Hmm. be totally in touch with yourself.
0: For someone who's wondering, how do I experiment with silence? How can they begin? Or what was your starting point? I think there was a point in the book, actually, where you said you just started with 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening of no distraction, no phone, nothing. And then you kind of kept building up on that. So, would that be your advice, or what would you advise? Sir?
1: Yeah, I, 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 do. I mean, a lot of people throw these words around like meditation and stuff. You no, know, mm-hmm. I've been to some classes in which people say, "Say, okay, lie down, shut your eyes, you know, feel the toe, <laughs> feel," the, and you know, and then I was like, you know, I would feel all those things if you would just shut up for a minute. Yeah. Right? <laughs> hearing your voice telling me what I should be doing. Yeah i mean which is just so annoying and a lot of people have this thing now now you can go deeper you mm. see this you're going deeper no i'm not going guided meditations yeah and i'm like i'm not going any deeper i'm just listening to your voice yeah. you don't know like yeah so right so yeah that's one thing i to, so what i did was a very practical thing i said all right here's a clock mm. in front of me and i made some promises all right i'm not gonna, obviously not gonna talk mm. so i will not read mm. okay I will just sit and stare at the watch and if i want to daydream, I'll daydream, but the watch is right in front of me. And okay. for 15 minutes, I do that. Mm-hmm. And trust me, do it for the first time. It, it's pretty because you'll be looking at the watch every two minutes. But how much more time? 12 have <laughs> Yeah. You know, because you're not used to this. you always, there's a reason for doing something. If you're just asked to stay still and for no reason, then your brain kind of gets very nervous. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. reacting. Mm-hmm. Because the job of the brain i mean this is another thing that the job of the brain is to protect you is to make sure you don't hurt yourself your brain can never make you happy so that's why whenever you're doing something and i'm going on a tangent whenever you're doing going doing something your brain will say what can go wrong Mm. right so here when you start being quiet the brain starts to give up it's all right this guy's gonna do so the first 15 minutes it gets la, la 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 then you will realize that the urges go away. Then he say, okay, just half an hour. And then this is my experience. I, you know, I don't know if people it becomes so profound. I remember that I said, and it was just like I didn't speak till say two o'clock, just was in silence or and luckily that time I wasn't married, so I'm living alone. So I could do that. There were no you know things I needed to do. But I said, All right, I will not talk till lunchtime. And uh, say you won't even believe that the silence became so profound that even the sound of the fans started bothering me. It just became profound. And if people were to ask what does that really mean, it's like means like it's like you've had a deep, deep nap and you've woken mm-hmm. up fresh as a daisy mm-hmm. with no baggage. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise you're constantly suffering from what what has happened, what will happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I I would recommend that. I think it's worth trying, but in the end, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. You might not be right for it, or it might might not be the right thing for you. Maybe something mm-hmm. else. So yeah, that's what I did. That's what I did, and it gives you substantial clarity. And and it's um, yeah, it's a sense of calm that comes over because you know where things are going, and you're oh, okay. You're you're less reactive, right?
0: I'm very curious to know. Have you experimented with vipassana? You know,
1: honestly, I haven't, and I'm scared of it. But
0: as someone who is comfortable in silence, and I mean. You know, you are-
1: Right. I, I actually did, a, uh, I was, at that time, I was exploring art of living and they had an advanced course in Bangalore, mm-hmm. which you just keep quiet for, I think, seven days or something.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that just seemed like a cakewalk or <laughs> it, it didn't make sense because they were always, you have people around.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And even though you were not talking in, in the evening, they would have satsang. So mm-hmm. there is physical proximity.
0: Yes. So for you, si- an important aspect of your silence is isolation.
1: I mean, you start with that and then hopefully within the crowd, Mm -hmm. you can tap into that. Maintain that. That is the trick and that's what I've, and even because my job requires that, right? When when you're acting in front of a camera, you're performing and they're like, you could be doing a very scene of someone dying or you're being in love or whatever. And there are actually 50, 100 people watching you, Mm -hmm. right? So you have to kind of block all that thing Mm -hmm. and be to that core, Mm -hmm. that emotion that you're feeling. Mm -hmm. So that actually, I don't know if acting helped me in that or that helps me in acting both ways. So I can be in a room of 50. Actually love that. To me, the best position is if I can be in a room of twenty people or thirty people and I'm not expected to talk. And I can just sit and be on my own and just observe. I love that. That that I mean so but first you have to be comfortable with yourself. Yeah. You know? so the, thing- the answer to Vipassana is that I haven't because I tried that, that didn't work for me because you were communicating, right? Mm. i
0: think the only thing you're not allowed is eye contact or uh, speaking but i think i don't know if gestures a very strict vipassana doesn't even allow like gesturing towards people or uh, signaling but i mean it depends
1: i've heard i've heard a lot about it and, and honestly i'm just being honest with you is that i'm scared because i'm like you know i know what i went through
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i'm scared if i do that i don't know if i'm going to go crazy or something i don't know I mean,
0: you spoke about acting and how, you know, you need to kind of isolate the environment around you and do your own thing. Uh, there's so many anecdotes in the book where you're talking about particularly the passage where you spoke about what a shy boy you were and um, how, you know, things that people would say would affect you a lot. And of course, we have an audience that's very impressionable when uh, in their age. I'm very like so acting as a profession that I have seen when it is brutal it is very brutal and it, it could be as simple as you being in an audition room with three people saying hey I don't like you know you gain two kgs or there's a pimple on your face or you know your, your skin's looking bad or whatever if you're not someone who is very thick-skinned it's so difficult to even have that one comment come your way it feels like someone is just sh- like tearing you apart and it, I mean, I want you to talk about that because I feel like, as that little boy who has had these issues, you must have had to deal with that in the initial years when you were trying to, you know, get your first big break.
1: Yes, I mean, what you said very correctly said that to to survive or to thrive in this industry uh, or any creative industry, I'd say, I just want to say, acting, acting, more so because it's you know physically you're attached. Physical. As a singer, even now, a lot of singles have to be in good shape and be able to dance and stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: To excel in anything creative, you need to have thin skin. You have to be sensitive, right? Otherwise, you will not be able to emote. Yeah. And, and then the audience picks who's an honest actor and who's not. Absolutely. So, yeah. really. so, so in that sense, my sensitivity really helps me because I can be obviously, obviously feel the sense or the nerve of the character and portray that. But the business aspect of it, that you have to be thick-skinned, if you accept the bouquets, you will have to accept the brickbats. And after all, you're human, you want validation. If you do something well, you want someone to say, hey, give you a pat on the back, say, hey, man, damn good. Right? And that doesn't happen all the time. That doesn't happen all the time. And, and I had to work through that. I had to, again, condition that. I mean, I do theater. You know, I remember I was doing a, a play with the ensemble cast. And in the end, you take a bow. And if you don't get enough claps, you're kind of like, huh, oh, okay. And or if people coming backstage, there are more people crowding to somebody else and just one or two coming to you, it pinches. Just let's be honest about it. You know, it's not like I will have an envy for the other person, but it pinches you like because you literally poured your heart and soul into what you just did. It wasn't a superficial thing for you, to you, it was very real. So I I again had to condition myself. So what I would do is honestly that. Uh, when I would finish a play or a show, I would just leave and forget, you know, otherwise you tend to ask people, say, hey, how was the performance today? Mm-hmm. Did you like it? Was it good? So, no, you live with that uncertainty and that discomfort that no one's telling you you were good or bad and let your own thing guide you. Mm. So you, you work through that. And um, so that's one thing. And... Uh, Yeah, it's just this trial and error. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's it's like an occupational hazard. But you
0: reinvented yourself quite a few times. I mean, everyone, you must have obviously been a certain way when you entered the industry, then learned a few tough lessons, then worked on yourself to say, okay, you know what? I don't want to be this person who's constantly bogged down by these things. So, you know, that self-work came in.
1: One thing was very clear uh, when I joined the industry. I had seen many stories of the past heroes who were like greats, Towards the end of their careers, people didn't even know who they were. And as there were a gazillion examples like that. I mean, you take the superstar like Rajesh Khanna and those guys and everything in the past. So I was very wary of that. So I was like, I will talk to myself and look, okay, you are not going to get into the trapping. So I made it a very clear conscious of me being the actor and me being the person of two different people. And never mix it. Too. And being an introvert anywhere you want your space right? So I made, firstly, I made that a, a clear conscious uh, effort and a decision to differentiate myself from the actor. I don't see that as a reinvention. To me, it's easier now than it was earlier. Um, it's a medium for self-expression for myself, really. As far as the brickbats and the bouquets are concerned, I've never taken that seriously. I mean, I, I'm not, not that I don't desire it sometimes. But I know the pitfalls that come with it. You're going to have people judge. So now what happens is and also when when i personally am far more critical of myself than the other people it doesn't bother you that much now to give you an example i just remembered um, initially the lesson that i learned it's a fantastic thing every time i would do an ad i would cry you would cry but, okay and the irrespective
0: was, of the emotion even if it was a happy ad you would cry
1: i'll tell you why i would or, or i would have an issue with the director okay to me every second that's how i thought It's i'm older and wiser to me, every second should have should be magical, right? So every second I have in front of the camera, I have I want to create magic. I want to do something unique and special, right? That's where I was coming from because I'd given up my entire life for this. Right? I had a corporate job and everything's safe. So when I'm finally your whole life, you know, put on stake. Whatever you do, you want that to be magical, and you're willing to put the effort. But it's a collaborative effort, you know, whether it's an ad or it's a film or thing. And usually the director is the boss, right? So for them, it was like, no, oh, no, this is okay. And to me, that's okay wasn't good enough. What do you mean it's okay? It's got to be special, right? And every time I'd go into the corner, I'm like, God, because I was so passionate and so intense. Like I'm saying, no, no, we can do something more. We can do something more. In my first film, I mean, yeah, this is how I learned my lesson, right? I had written 10 or 12 pages of um, notes to myself about my costume just about your costume just about my 12 pages wow
2: <laughs> Wow!
1: so the costume was the way i was deciding is a what is the scene b is it a day scene or a night scene it's a happy or a sad scene if it's a sad scene i should wear something more darker right if it's a day scene or a night scene uh, then accordingly you should wear that kind of color or that then whether it's it's a night because you can use a blue light or a yellow light and in yellow light, cold colors don't translate well. So I was going through all that. Wow.
0: Some in-depth thought. Because Petition to,
1: to publish that as a book, please. But the funniest thing is when I when I reached the set and I asked, you know, what is the scene? Da, 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 they just said, oh yeah, just pick up anything you want. And I'm like, hey man, I just spent so much time <laughs> to figure out the right costume, the right look, and the right this. And no one really cared. Yeah. So yeah, so that was... I had to learn a lesson not to be so, in, you know, invested into what I'm doing. The sense How did it. you
0: react, though? I'm very curious to know. When
1: uh... I'll tell you, inc- nice incident. Um, so once what happened was um, there was a scene going on or something, and, and in in one particular scene, uh, I was supposed to t- take an exit, but we didn't shoot that. So when the other scene came, so I went to my director and said, you know, I should have taken an exit because I'm taking an entry in this, right? Obviously, there were more things in my mind because I'm kind of seeing things in totality, and I was right. <laughs> Definitely, that was right. Now the director got really upset. All right, oh, any you other know, little kid who's just come up and is actually telling a director what he what mistake he made in terms of just the treatment or someone taking an exit or an entry. right? And he got really upset with me because so he couldn't accept that he had made a mistake, but he had he knew it. He said, oh, you're never around, and you never you know talk. You you're never on time, or you're never seen around. And I was so charged up because I was so invested. You know, I just went in a corner. And I, the AD came after, the assistant director came after me and I said, look, I'm quitting. I'm not acting. Yet. This is my first film, debut film. One of the biggest things. I'm like, I'm not acting, that's it. He says, what do you mean you're not acting? I, said, I can't do this. I mean, it's not my job to come every morning and, you know, I used to, whoever I would meet, I would wish, wish them. Hi, hi, hi. I'm not going to hang around and stuff like that. And he had quite, so my integrity had been questioned, which made me really upset. But how dare you question my integrity, all right? So uh, I went away. I was really hurt. And I was literally oh, crying. And this guy oh, you can't leave. And then I, these words came out of my mouth. And I still remember this. This happened 25, 27 years back, first film. And these words came out. And I said, clearly, I said, listen. And this is what I'm saying while the tears rolling down my cheeks. It's like 25-year-old kid saying, listen, if I'm just remember one thing. If I'm meant to be a star, you can't stop me. If I'm not meant to be a star, you can't make me. Just remember that. And as I'm saying, while I'm crying, and then i got to yeah, okay, fine, no, fine. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so a lot of lessons that I've always been in, in you know, uh, conflict because to me it's just it means so much to me, right? So also slowly there was like this went on, like in every ad film I would say, yeah, but this, but this, then and, and, oh God, because to me it's like. Man, it is, means so much to me. So I had learned, and then it became a point that it became counterproductive. Like I was doing a TV show, and I, because in TV shows, you know, you have, kind of, for the sake of drama, you twist things around, and that would make me angry. So I was saying, you've told me this character, I'm playing the character, my loyalties are to, to this character, I put my heart and soul into this, but 90, it's not 100% of what I do is this, I mean, whatever work I do, there's a lot of me that goes in it. Because that's how you make it truthful. That's how you make it. So where the line blurs, you don't know where Samir is and where this guy is. Right? So, and they would come and just change the script on me. No, oh, he does this. Like, I remember, I, mean, I can take names, I guess. So um, I was doing this show called Just See Just and I And so one fine day, like, this guy, my character and that character is supposed to get married and stuff and I'm happy and stuff. And suddenly I got a script and said, he says that, oh, I can't do married. What happened? I mean, because they wanted a twist in the film story. I'm not going to do it. I'm answerable to my character and to the people who watch. They're going to think I'm an idiot.
2: Yeah.
1: So I just rewrote the whole damn scene. I just kind of sent them somewhere else. So I they know they me.
0: keep saying this whole TRP thing. For TRPs, we need to do it for TRPs. And it's so yeah. not true to the character. But there's a point where they're willing to do anything
1: as ridiculous. I, as I've as always had that conflict with the creatives because to me it's not about that but you know as years go by one day I really realized I said look was it really worth it for you really so then there was one project I had to do and my wife told me okay you do this project promise you will not say anything I said god that's tough." I mean but that's been
0: a spiritual lesson right I'm sure because I think you know we have this problem where when we see people who are mad passionate about their work the word eccentric is used for them and in a very, not in a good way. It's almost like this you know? And it's a very difficult space for these people because sometimes you're very passionate about things. You tend to get into a lot of disagreements with those around you. And ultimately, I think somewhere down the line, life teaches you to kind of do and then detach from the outcome and say, okay, forget it. I'm done driving myself up the wall. For the sake of my sanity, I will now not question the process.
1: Uh, I mean, honestly, I've reached that level that I forget the projects I've done until the project comes out and I go, oh, damn, I shot for that. I oh. forgot about because to me, it became, okay, what gives you happiness is performing from the camera. That's what gives you joy because you can actually live. Like I was seeing a shrink once who said Samir, the only time you're not acting is when you're acting. Mm. So the only time you're really real, real, real is when you're in front of the camera because you let the true feelings come out. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's why it bothers you more if someone kind of comes in between of you get getting in touch.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But um so I, I just backed off and I was like, okay, where do you want me to stand? And when you reach that level, then you kind of okay, fine. When you found a deeper purpose kind of to behind correct. So then like I never watch my work. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, so I asked the director, okay, look, this is what I can do. What do you want me to do? You okay with this? I'm okay with this. I'm not gonna, because I got tired of being so passionate and, you know, after every project, I would call my friends and say, look, I want to quit. This is why I said, look, I suck. I don't like the way I look. <laughs> what work I'm doing. And then when it would release and say, mad. What are you thinking about? It's just fine. So, but yeah, because you're waiting, because you're so invested in that, you just want magic all the time. It doesn't happen. Especially, that's where writing kind of is nicer, because you can purely express yourself. Even direction, for that matter, it's, it's you. But as an actor, I have to realize, that I did realize, that I'm just a link in the chain. I cannot be looking at the entire chain. That's not my job. This has been my story, the sense of detachment, detachment. And you reach a point then, nothing else really matters. You're like, hmm, okay, all right. I mean, like there's a fantastic uh, thing, which is an Instagram or thing. I think a bunch of actors talking, I think Tom Hanks said this, and I was like, it's a good one. He says, you know, the world doesn't make sense to you. Right? Nothing seems to make sense. You know, there's turbulence everywhere. You don't know where you're coming. I'm paraphrasing. You don't know where you're going, where you're coming. He says, don't worry, it will pass. Finally, everything is clear. Everything makes sense. Why are you here? What you're doing, you know exactly. Everything's perfect. Don't worry, this will pass too. So everything is transient in that sense. You like so when you get that sense of detachment, you're like, "Hey, man, what do I know?" <laughs> so the that's probably my journey—the sense of detachment, which also comes from the fact that if you are very sensitive, it can be a, a great mechanism of self-preservation. So maybe just my, you know, defensive mechanism to being the sensitive person that I am—that just detach yourself so that the outcome of whatever you're doing doesn't affect you or hurt you in any way. Mm. Which is not necessarily the right thing, mm. but that is my way. Your way. Yeah, yeah you know I, I'm a firm believer. that a bird has to fly and a fish has to swim, you have to be true to who you are and what you are. You can't tell a fish that, "Hey, man, why don't look, you go fly today?" Oh, yeah, <laughs> just try. Just try getting out of the water. <laughs> you're not doing it. Flap your wings. And you're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So everybody has their own mechanisms of in dealing with life. Like an extrovert, probably their way would be probably distract the mm-hmm. things to pass and introverts would be to kind of go within build the walls so uh, yeah that's just i'm sorry for the no.
0: <laughs> i want to talk to you about mental health for men because Samin, i think just the act of what you've done one is being able to be vulnerable with yourself is one thing and being able to put that vulnerability out there in the form of let's say this book which was so raw to the world is very bold. It's very gutsy. I don't honestly, I don't think I could pull out passages from my journal and say, hey, let's just publish this. I want the world to see it. And maybe, maybe you know, it's huh?
2: it's <laughs> I would
0: be, the sound of it is so terrifying. So hats off to you for having, literally for mustering up the courage to do it. But more so because of the fact that you are a man and uh, statistics say that men tend to commit suicide much more than women do uh mental health for men is something that is not spoken about enough and men have this sense of bravado that they like and honestly it's a very disturbing fact that they internalize so much because crying is seen as a weak move for a man. Has it been difficult for you to be vulnerable with yourself?
1: Well uh to be vulnerable no but to show the vulnerability is obviously it's still a challenge right Mm -hmm. because I think uh from the time when we were all hunters and gatherers, there was a clear ro- role demarcation for a woman and a man. Right? The man is supposed to be the protector and the provider, and the woman. And that's largely because of you know biology. When, because the human baby is the only baby that's uh, you know delivered when it's not fully capable of taking care of itself. Most animals, when they deliver a baby, within a day or two, they can pretty much fend for themselves or be okay. Human baby might take was six seven years really. So that's so only this now I'm But like evolution, you know, so only those babies survived in which the mother stood close to the child and protected it from the jungle. Mm. In which case, it was the job of a man to hunt. Mm. Yeah. So this role was very clear, mm. and we've gone in that. And that's probably the reason why human species has succeeded. A woman is sort of the caretaker. Caretaker. Yeah, which is the primary role. And men are raised to be bold and strong, and I remember my mom telling me, like, I would cry, and she said, look, if you're going to cry, where are the girls going to go? You know, it was like a typical thing. So, um, I understand that. And and that has, in a way, also, um, made me, me who I am, in a way. I mean, because that's the way you've been raised. Mm-hmm. To be the stoic person and yeah. to take charge of yeah. I me, mean, that's where you've been. But until the template you have is shaken up, right, it's only then. So, it, it's... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can understand why most the society will feel the role of a man is that because that has been genetically going on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But now we are reaching a different stage in society where the roles are kind of swapping and, and exchanging. It's it's more of an individual as opposed to man or a woman. Mm-hmm. right? With the times, things will change. Mm-hmm. So will the men have to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If I had a son, I wouldn't say don't cry.
2: Mm-hmm so mm-hmm.
1: th- think things are changing and I think accepting yourself is a big big thing I think mm-hmm. um, whether you're a man or woman I mean like I said I talked to my friend. I'm pretty candid about it you know so we'll say, oh, where are you going I said I'm just going to my counselor say, hey what's wrong nothing wrong I felt like talking to him
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's okay I mean to me it's when you talk about mental health or oh man in that sense we don't even know what mental health really means I mean if I talk about physical health if I asked you what does it mean to have a good body you will probably say oh good biceps and triceps and shoulders or whatever blah mm-hmm. blah blah you can visualize yeah. a healthy body.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If I was to ask, what does a healthy mind look like? You would have no clue because it's your mind who's assessing everything. Yeah. How do you kind of look at your mind and determine whether it's healthy or not?
0: Very valid. Actually, I've never thought of this. You've really <laughs> given me food for thought. That's very true. Yeah. So, There's no physical thing of what a healthy mind. Yeah.
1: So if you don't know what exactly a healthy mind is, how would you know you're healthy or not healthy? Mm-hmm you will only realize it when things will work,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Then you'll start questioning, hmm. you know, I'm pretty, this thing about it. And in interviews like this, I, you know, you wear it like a badge and say, yeah, so I see, seek counseling from time to time when I feel I need it because mm-hmm. nobody else can help you because your friends and family can only tell you so much. So the world is getting more and more stressful.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. And now is the importance in of, hats off to your, you know, podcasts, so, uh, I don't know if I answered your question, but that's where the male and, again, um, you know, thing of being vulnerable. I, I don't even like the word vulnerable, because it, it somehow implies there is some weakness. In weakness. You. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you're a human being. You have emotions. It's most natural to I mean, anyway, an animal will have emotions. You you fire your dog, the poor guy will sit in the corner and sulk. Mm. Is he being vulnerable? <laughs> I mean, these are these tags we give people that, oh, Mm. this, 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 this. And that's largely because, again, coming back to we live in an extremely extroverted, stereotypical world, which tells you what you should be and what you should not be.
0: You know, I'm glad you busted this entire myth of introversion being associated with people who want to, you know, just sit alone and hate the world and they hate human interaction. And um, it's not always like that. And we spoke about it earlier. So for people who would think that Acha Sameer Soni equals to introvert equals to you know he's a father, he's a husband he is a man living in the modern world how are you striking the balance because yeah I mean it is associated with isolation sometimes
1: it's balance is always the tricky part right whether you're an extrovert or an introvert whoever yeah. you are yeah balance between what's okay, what's not okay how much how less I mean too much of silence can be bad for you yeah much being sucked into the outside world can be bad for you. Mm-hmm. But everything that's where your balance lies, where you are comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's all about that. I mean, I tend to, how I tend to balance things is I, I have certain expectations from myself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I've realized that as long as I live up to my own expectations, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I being a good son, a good father, a good husband, you know, a good actor, a good human being. These are four or five things I have. Very duty oriented. You know, I expect this for myself. It might be a misplaced expectation also, but it's somehow getting the balance, right? You know, that's that's how I do it. And um and actually what happens and also what people become more accepting. Like on you know, my earlier when we got married, and my wife you know, I'd made an effort, always go out, always go out. Now then and she would insist. Then she started seeing me struggle, like oh, <laughs> Signing out uh, poor guy. Uh, <laughs> for like bad for you as yeah, do it yeah so yeah yeah then the people started saying that so then everyone's kind of accepted so it's it's you know if you firmly believe in what you believe in and are consistent with it, yeah. it's only when you're inconsistent that no one takes you seriously yeah right yeah. So once you're kind of open about it and it's like a thing, it's like literally like if I go to a party and I'm gonna leave at like by twelve or eleven. The host would look at me and I'd be like, hey, man, you know me. <laughs> I'm going to go. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, it's, kind of, it's, not, it's kind of sweet. People are nice to you. People are very nice to you. Yeah. They'll say, okay, I know it's an effort for you. Try to make it. It's yeah. important. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it's like, yeah, is it worth the effort? You guys have found common ground now. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, like, yeah. See, my thing is, look, I respect you for what you are. And I wish you happiness. Yeah. I will never come in your way. Mm. But I can only stretch myself so much. But So if there's an event or something which means a lot to her, mm. I'd ask her. So mm. look, is that really me being with you there is important to you? And sometimes, honestly, she's just more practical than I am. I mean, I can be idealistic. And she's mm. like, hey, listen, you're still an actor, right? Mm. I mean, forget everything. Else. <laughs> He's your boss. He's your producer. you got to show up. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, that's kind of true. So you're being rude now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so you need to kind of, you know, be open to not just being in your own isolation, saying, but understand yourself and also be aware of what's happening around. I mean, it's is a fine balance you make, I think. It works out. It works out. It's, nothing's easy. It, it works out.
0: What are your three Samir Sony life lessons that you would want our listeners to kind of take away from this conversation?
1: Wow. Uh, the first is it will pass. It will pass. No matter what it is, no matter good or bad, it will pass. Nothing is permanent, all right? And you just got to hang there. Just hang in there. There's a beautiful dialogue in a film called Castaway. I don't know if you've seen that, but Tom Hanks. Yeah. And someone asked him uh, that how because he's, he's marooned on an island. It's one of mm. my favorite films. Mm. And he survives there for like over a year without anyone.
2: Yeah.
1: And this is one beautiful line which he says, just keep breathing mm. and you never know what the tide will bring. So that's second thing. So one is, it shall pass. Second, be true to be yourself, yourself. whoever you are. But when you say be true to yourself, it's just about your nature,
2: mm-hmm.
1: more about being right in your own eyes, mm-hmm. which is more of a value system,
2: mm-hmm.
1: all right. That how you treat people, how you see life. Okay, you can't lie to yourself. So one is your personality, one is about your conduct, all right. And the conduct would be that, I mean, I tell that to my daughter all the time. I mean, you know, you gotta treat people like you would want them to treat you. So yeah, third thing would be I think, which I land up saying a lot, discussing a lot, thinking a lot. Success doesn't equal happiness. When we talk about success, we talk about you know typical, that's you know materialistic success, and we assume that will make us happy. These things are just being told by society, and the reason is very simple: that the earlier generation, they were trying to make ends meet, Mm. and they said, okay, this is what I didn't get. And told, if I give my, my children enough education and security and stuff like that, that'll be good. Mm. They didn't know it. They just mm. said, I, I didn't have this. Mm. So everybody's encouraged to come first, to get the best college, to get married, da, 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 da. Then, you, then you'll be happy.
2: Mm.
1: And we still apply that. Mm. Yeah. But now we have reached a point that we're not living for survival. There are some people, of course, who do, which I understand. There are finer things in life. Because, you know, being the richest man in the world doesn't guarantee happiness. Mm-hmm. Being the most famous man in the world doesn't guarantee mm-hmm. happiness having all the cars or having vacations all around the world doesn't really give you happiness. Mm-hmm. It's not a guarantee it might. Mm-hmm. Temporary happiness. Whatever. It, you know, for some people, it just might work. I don't know. I can't generalize. Mm-hmm. It is not a guaranteed path.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: No, success does not equal happiness.
0: And I hope we're moving towards a world where we can encourage people to kind of be more self-aware in terms of questioning why they're doing what they're doing and where they're really headed in life. Thank you for this conversation Sameer I have thoroughly enjoyed it but before I let you go I'm actually going to play a very quick game with you
1: What what what, what do you mean
0: This is a game where <laughs> I'm going to uh, request you to react to the following statement because just if someone were to tell you you're always so serious man lighten up a little uh, bit
1: I show my middle finger
0: <laughs> Great <laughs>
1: Okay. <laughs> I'm just being <laughs> honest right now. I probably wouldn't. You should know. I, I would feel that. I probably wouldn't do it, but I, probably in my heart, I'm like, yeah. Right, buddy. Go home.
0: <laughs> okay. The second one. Self-introspection is only for oldies, not for a young guy like you.
1: I Give him a compassionate smile. Go home, son. <laughs> 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 you don't know who I am.
0: <laughs> okay. I'd like you to rephrase the following statements. So, I think very often we Say things to people and then maybe in hindsight realize that there would there's a better way for us to have said what we wanted to. Mm-hmm. So rephrase you just need a drink, man, you will be fine. Everyone has low phases in life.
1: I would say, look, Buddy, everybody has low phases in life, but they pass, right? Right now you can do with a drink. I know you went through tough times and they will pass, but right now you can do with a drink. Come on, don't cry about it, man. Be a man. Why don't you get some education first?
2: <laughs> okay
1: simple answer I mean, before you define what a man is why don't you educate yourself what does it mean like to be a man
0: correct the following statement if you were so i think very often we are our own worst enemies and we say things to ourselves which we should be a little more polite with ourselves for sure so what's a better way of telling yourself the following i guess they're all right i'm not meant to do this
1: i think it's okay to say that to yourself it's okay yeah i think it's because you have to be honest. So it's okay to say that they're all right. I mean, it's okay to be wrong.
0: Very unconventional answer, but I get, I understand why you're saying that. Okay. Um, the second one is, if I spend time with myself, I'll get triggered by my past. And
1: s- spend time with yourself uh, and introspect that's healthy, but don't dwell on it. Introspect, feel it. Don't, you know, wipe it under the carpet, but don't dwell on it. That's a problem.
0: Any final parting words?
1: Well, firstly, uh, thank you very, very much, Asta. Very thank you. Thank for reaching out, because this does mean a lot to me, because uh, I just can't be harping about things. It's when people reach out, it gives me a platform to say what I really feel and am passionate about. It really means a lot.
0: Well, here we are, at the end of the second-last episode of this season. I truly hope that you have been enjoying these conversations and finding value in them. And if you have, then it would really mean a lot to me if you went and rated the show on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, where you can even leave a review if you would like to. I will see you next Thursday for our season closer. And though it is the last conversation of the season, it is definitely not the least. So stay tuned
2: for a very interesting guest. I'll see you next Thursday.